Good morning, while they're going. Let me just add something to the uh, combined worship and prayer time this evening. A number of pastors in the city get together and we pray every week. And a number of weeks ago, we were kind of complaining about how our culture is trying to take Jesus out of Christmas. And you can talk about Santa, but you can't talk about Jesus. And we thought, you know what, we can complain, or we can actually do the opposite. So this evening's called, It's All About Jesus. So there's something of that as we focus on and exalt Jesus, that we make a statement into the spiritual realm, but it's also something of unity when other churches get together. Thing is, when we focus on unity, it's usually around events. You have to come to our event or do our thing. But what actually unites us is Jesus. When we worship and pray, it's easy to be united. When we get into doctrine, we can be divided when we get into events, but when we worship and pray. So this is a focus on Jesus. We're gonna worship him, we're gonna pray a little bit for our city. There's something that happens, God commands blessing. And so I wanna encourage you, uh, rather than just complain about the culture taking Jesus out of Christmas, let's start the season, as Steve has so clearly pointed out today, with. Uh, with saying, hey, I'm gonna take some time and make a statement about it's all about Jesus, okay? You know, I was realizing as I was preparing that uh, you often get the result of what God's speaking to me about or dealing with me about or reminding me about or bringing revelation. And so uh, it's gonna be that way again today. So uh, some of it will be first person, but it, you need to hear it as if God's speaking to you. Uh, having said that, I also believe that what I have to share today is a key for life in the kingdom, living life in the kingdom of God. So that's why I don't hesitate to share with you what God's been reminding me of. Having said that, let's pray. <laughs> we definitely need God. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence, for your grace. Lord, we recognize that you've drawn us to yourself, that you give us your spirit who leads us into all truth. And so we say, Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you speak to us? Would you bring revelation? Would you open our understanding of God and his ways? In Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 10, verse 27. I read this a few weeks ago, as Steve referred to. I was talking about we live by hearing God's voice. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We're his sheep. He's the good shepherd. Verse 4 says when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. There's something about knowing his voice. As I shared a couple weeks ago, this is based on the foundation of that Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew 4, 4, where he's tempted of the, the enemy and his response is, it is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live by hearing his voice. That's the kingdom. And that was a direct reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm just wanting to uh, remind you as we jump off of that. Deuteronomy chapter 8 from verse 2. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. This is, they're just coming into the promised land. God's reminding them that for 40 years he led them to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. I don't like that part. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall, live, shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God took 40 years with the Israelites to make them learn one lesson. That lesson was you live by hearing God's voice. Too often we think back to the Ten Commandments and we think that that was God's expression of his, his law, but really he actually spoke that to them first. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Exodus 29. I had a mark here and then my marker fell away. In the end of Exodus 29, God tells us very clearly what his goal with this people is. From verse 45 of Exodus 29, it says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord your God. God's purpose was to dwell among them. In fact, over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Verse seven, it says, so what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. But it wasn't just to dwell amongst them. There was more. He actually wanted to the, us as representing the children of Israel to hear his voice and obey what he said, which is what we just read. Chapter 4 of Deuteronomy and verse 12 says, And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. And then verse 33 Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fires you've heard and still live? In fact, in Deuteronomy, 35 times it said they heard the voice of the Lord or they obeyed the voice of the Lord or they didn't obey the voice of the Lord or God spoke to them. 35 times. His goal was that we walk in relationship and we have the privilege of hearing his voice. We don't have to guess what he wants us to do. We don't have to guess what it, what it should be like. He actually wants to tell us. He actually wants to walk with us. 
If this is the old covenant, how much more in the new covenant? How much more we have direct access into his presence? We can come to his throne of grace. We're not standing outside afraid that God's going to speak to us from the fire and we're going to get consumed. We actually, our sin has been removed as was shared this morning. We can come in. He says, you're clean. And we can come in and and hear him. Now with that understanding that that's God's goal, I want to go back and look at how God revealed himself with that as his goal. See, after the uh, fall, Genesis 6 tells us that the intent of man's heart was only evil continually. It was so bad that God had to start over from scratch. And he began to reveal himself with a goal that eventually he would dwell amongst the people and that they would hear his voice and walk in obedience to what he said. He reveals himself. Let me just say this as an aside. The Bible is God's revelation of himself. It's God telling us what he's like. We don't get to tell him what he's like. We don't actually get to pick and choose the parts of his revelation that we like. We actually have to hear what he says We can't know him unless he reveals himself. It amazes me how often people pick parts of God's revelation and say, well, I like this part. I don't like this other part. When we do that, we're actually making God in our image. We're determining what God should be like rather than hearing what he says he is like. You would never do that. I'm telling you this. All this is a reminder as God's been dealing with me. So the first revelation that God has of himself we find in Genesis 17. Verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. The very first thing that God reveals about himself is that he is almighty. That's the word El Shaddai. The song we sang, you're wondering, we sing, he is El Shaddai. You're going, what does that mean? I'm telling you. It means he's almighty. The very first thing he reveals about himself is that he's almighty. In fact, that's the only thing he revealed about himself for 400 years. think maybe it's important. Maybe from God's perspective, it's an important thing. Sorry, I made the mistake of closing my Bible and I've lost my place. He repeats it again over in 35, chapter 35, verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings come from your body. God has this plan, and the first thing he reveals about himself is that he's almighty. Why this first? You ever think that way? 
I often look at it and say, God, why did you reveal this? Why didn't God reveal that he was love? First off, that's the one most of us like. In fact, I was asked by someone, a friend of mine, to read a book a few weeks ago. And the book had actually taken one aspect of God's character, that God is love, and tried to define everything else based around that. Changed many words in the Bible to get to a conclusion based on one character of God. Is God love? Absolutely. But that's not where God started. He started with Almighty. Why? I want to give you my thoughts on that because I think that if his goal is that we listen to what he says and act on it, we have to start by trusting him. But if we're gonna trust him, we have to know that he can do what he says. He starts there and says, I want you to know that I am El Shaddai, the almighty God. I can do whatever I say. Obviously, there's more to his revelation of himself. I'll touch them just briefly, but I don't want to get caught up. I just want to say this again. It seems that from God's perspective, the fact that he's almighty is foundational for us walking in intimacy with him and hearing his voice and then obeying. He goes on from there and reveals himself in Exodus uh, Exodus 3, as soon as I find Exodus. Right after that. Exodus 3 and verse 14, he says, the Lord said to Moses, I am who I am. That word I am, which we also sang, literally means he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He picks that up again in chapter 6, where he says, In verse three, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I have not, I was not known to them. So this is 400 years later. For 400 years, God's been only known as Almighty. Now he comes along and he says, in addition to that, I'm also self-sufficient, all-sufficient. We tend to define that from our perspective, meaning that God's everything we need But from his perspective, it means he needs nothing. He didn't actually need us. He doesn't actually need our thoughts. How often do I, when God speaks to me, tend to want to argue with him and give the king of the universe my thoughts? Oh, God, that that won't work that way. He doesn't actually need our thoughts. And so much so that 
most often that expression, which is I am, which is uh, Yahweh, is translated Lord. Just think about that for a second. He goes on in Exodus 15 and reveals himself as a God who heals. Verse 26, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments, keep all the statutes, I'll put none of these diseases on you, which I brought on the Egyptians from the Lord who heals you. What is he saying? Too often we take that out of context. He's actually saying in the bigger perspective that hearing what he says and obeying is actually to our benefit. It's a much bigger picture. He's saying, I'm a healer, but if you listen and obey, it's actually to our benefit. I don't want to get sidetracked on this. I want to just touch these real quickly. Exodus 34 and verse 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. His other revelation, again, he's getting to the point of dwelling amongst us so we hear his voice and obey, and he says, I'm a jealous God. He's basically saying, there's no mixture. You don't listen to God and the world. You don't listen to God and some philosopher. You don't try and put God into our way of thinking. Dave Swain was telling me this morning that someone had said to him once, don't let the Bible mess up your beliefs. Too often we come with an idea and we try and fit God into our idea, into the things we think rather than hear what he has to say. And then lastly, he reveals himself as holy. Leviticus 10.3 Lord spoke by those who came near. I will be regarded as holy. And it says a number of number of times, which literally means pure, set apart, different. Now we think of holy as being set apart for a certain purpose. But when you refer to, to God, nobody sets God apart. It actually means God is set apart from all the rest of creation. God is different. He's pure. He's holy. All those things, but the place he starts is that he's all-powerful. He's almighty. And then we see a confirmation of that throughout much of the rest of the Bible. God parts the Red Sea. He shows his power. When they get to a point where they're actually going to be destroyed, there's no way forward. In the natural, there was nothing that could happen. God did the supernatural. How many of you ever get to that point? We'll get to that in a second. He supplied bread when there was nothing to eat. He fought for them when they come into the promised land and the walls of Jericho fall fall down. He says, walk around and be silent once per day. Do that for six days. And on the seventh day, walk around the city seven times. 
How many of you would be like me by this point, trying to give God some advice? God, why do we need to do it for the six days? And why do we need to be silent? And then walk around seven times, blow the trumpets, and shout. Oh, yeah, laws of physics say that that's going to work. We're going to have a bunch of tired people after we've done this for six days. And on the seventh day, we walk around seven times. We're all tired. And we shout. What are our expectations? My expectation would be they're going to come rushing out of the city and kill us all. But God says, do this, and what happens? The walls fall. Do you think they were expecting that? Would you be? Sometimes the things that God says doesn't always make sense to us. And that's why we need to recognize he's all-powerful. But then we see the same thing in Jesus, who comes representing God. He is God, comes representing God. And what does he do? He heals. He shows with the, the beginning of his message, it's confirmed with supernatural signs and wonders. Why? Because God is almighty. He hasn't quit being almighty. I love that song. He's the same the same God. Not only does he heal, he calms the storm. He walks on water. He multiplies bread and fish and supplies. Can you understand, when you understand that God is almighty, why he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you? He's the almighty God. I get carried away here, but let me just touch a couple things because I want you to see this is a major theme of all of the Bible, that God is almighty, that God's bigger, God's greater than we can comprehend. Psalm 145, verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. That means it's beyond our comprehension. God's power, God's greatness, the fact that he's almighty is so much bigger that we can't begin to understand it. In fact, 1 Kings 8.27 says, the heavens and the highest heavens can't contain you. Now you can read that and pass over it. But I got cut up with that one day and went, what does that actually mean? It's the action of the whole universe. I'm going to give you a real quick math lesson, physics lesson, because God's beyond physics. You know that, the, uh, that light travels at about 300,000 kilometers a second. That's pretty fast. In fact, at that speed, light travels about nine and a half trillion kilometers in a year. 
Think about that for a second. But because that's so big, we can't comprehend it. We think in units called light years, and the closest star to us in our galaxy is just under five light years away. That's how far light travels in just under five years. That's 9.5 trillion kilometers times five. So much so that if you could travel that distance in the space shuttle that travels at just under 30,000 kilometers a second, which is the fastest thing known to man at this point, to get to that planet, to that sun, that star, sorry, it would take 185,000 years traveling at 300, uh, about 30,000 kilometers an hour. That's the closest star. In our galaxy alone, there's 100 billion stars. That's amazing, but there's 100 billion galaxies. Are you kind of getting this? The Bible says the heavens and the highest heavens can't, God is greater than all that. We need to get a new revelation of how big he is. One more scripture. Tim read this last week. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 20, again, we can read over these things and not allow them to affect us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church. Why do we need to be reminded of this? Because if you're like me, I can subconsciously reduce God to something less than what he is. I look at how I do that, and I'm a product of our culture, which has a very natural worldview. We like to think cause and effect. And so we want to see things in the natural. So something happens, and we look for the natural cause. heard of two people this last week who've experienced miraculous provision of God opening doors or providing for them, but he uses people. It's easy to say, oh, well, that was just this person. It's actually God. I remember praying for somebody at one point who doctors had given up. They said, there's nothing else we can do. And about a month later, they were completely healed. Yet they said, ah, oh, it must have been a delayed reaction from the, what the doctors had done. See, we look for a natural cause rather than recognizing God's bigger. Or what I find as well is that 
this concept of being intimate with Jesus, that he's, he's here with me, I tend to subconsciously reduce him to my size. If he's gonna hang out with me, he must be like me. And there's a lot of stuff that we communicate. I read someone years ago who talked about Jesus as their co-pilot. He was a pilot, Jesus is my co-pilot. Or he's my friend. Or he's my mate. All those are true, but if we're not careful, we subconsciously reduce God. So what does this mean for you? God's wanting to remind us. Let me ask you, do you think small? Is your expectation small? See, I think we all need a new revelation of the greatness and power of God. It's a foundation for hearing his voice and obeying what he says. See, God said something, and if you're like me, sometimes you say, well, God, I don't see how that's gonna work. Because I've got my focus on me rather than on him. I don't see how it's gonna work, but I see the Almighty. God puts his hand on someone and says, I'm calling you for this, and you say, but God, I'm not capable. I'm not able. As if God didn't know that already. And he says, yes, but I am. So Joseph learns something when he's in prison. Pharaoh has this dream, eventually calls Joseph out of prison a number of years later, and he says, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's response is, I can't. But God can. So God says, would you pray for this person? He said, God, I've prayed for people before and they weren't healed. I can't heal anyone. No, the response is, I can't heal anyone, but God can. I can't do what, what God's calling me to do. It's beyond me. That's what Tony was referring to last week. We often get to the point where we're going beyond what we can do, beyond what we can experience, beyond what we know, and we're dependent on him. But this almighty God is the one who comes within us and says, I can. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. I wanna give you a moment or two before we get into having fellowship and coffee and moving on to the things of the day. I believe God wants to enlarge our revelation of his greatness. And I believe that there's some here that God's put his finger on you for things, but you've said, no, I can't. And God's simply saying, just change your focus from you to me. He can. Some of you are facing some places where you can't see how to get through 
in a financial place. You don't see how things are gonna, gonna work. And God says, turn your eyes off the natural onto the almighty God. There's some here, you've been believing for a touch from God. And God's simply saying, see me. Turn your focus from you to me. You think, I haven't received a touch from God. I must not be worthy. I must not have enough faith. I must, God just says, it's not about you. Turn your focus to him. Almighty God. We want to respond. Lord, we say, enlarge our thinking. Enlarge our understanding and revelation, even though your greatness is beyond our understanding. The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain you. Lord, we don't want to reduce you to our size, to our experience. We say, would you be God? Almighty. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand. Give you a hint, I often do this because if I have you sit there with your head bowed too long, some of you I'm sure are gonna fall asleep. Phil Masters. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I believe God's wanting to touch some people here. I'm gonna ask you if God's speaking something to you. We're gonna Tim's going to lead us. We're going to have a, just a, one more song as we just allow the Holy Spirit. Would you just respond to the Holy Spirit? If you've been limiting God's ability to use you, if you've been anxious about his provision, if you've been needing a touch from God for healing, but you felt like, oh, I don't have enough faith. I haven't seen it. Would you just put those aside and turn your focus on him and say, God, you're the almighty. Else should I. You're the one who's greater. And I choose to look to you and not to the circumstances, not to what's natural, not to my ability or inability, but to your greatness. What are we going to do? You are. Let's just sing this and allow God to, to touch us. Respond to him. <laughs>